This morning's scripture text is from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13, the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. For many of you, when I say 1 Corinthians 13, you already know what's coming up. You know that we will be listening to the love chapter. If you have gone to any weddings, you have undoubtedly heard this read. I have homilized on 1 Corinthians 13 probably a hundred times, but as I've looked back, I have rarely preached on it on a Sunday morning during a regular weekly worship service. But this is the text put forward by the Revised Common Lectionary for today. And so today, we will wonder about what is perhaps the greatest ode to love in the Bible, perhaps in all of literature. Before reading it, though, as with all things in the Bible, it's important to understand this chapter in the context of the entire letter. It sits within this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a small community of Christians who are living in the first century city of Corinth. Corinth was a small version of a major port city like New York City or Miami, where much of the world passed through on a major trading route. It had a lot of money and a lot of gods. Paul had founded a small Christian community about five years before writing this letter, which had grown to maybe about 150 people, probably about half of what's here today, spread across several house churches. No main church back in the first century. They were all meeting in these houses in Corinth. And it had taken them only five years, these Corinthian Christians, to be at war with each other. Some house churches thought that they were better than other house churches. Some house churches thought that they knew more than other house churches. Some house churches believed that they had more important spiritual gifts than other house churches. Some claimed the gift of knowledge. Some claimed the gift of prophecies. Others claimed the gift of speaking in spiritual tongues. And there was great debate over who had the more important gift. And they were coming apart as a result at the seams. In the chapter before, chapter 13... Paul spends the whole chapter talking about the church as the body of Christ and how every member of the body needed all the other members and how all the other members needed each member. And then from there, Paul makes the shift to talk about what he calls the greatest of all the gifts, the gift of love. If I speak in the tongues of of mortals and of angels, but do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. In my first semester in college, I went to a small Presbyterian college in Western Pennsylvania, Westminster College, great school. I'm on the board there now, it's still a great school, and Presbyterian kids go for cheap, a shameless plug. <laughs> Most folks think I went to the University of Michigan the way I incessantly talk about their teens, but Westminster is the institution of higher education to which I owe the greatest debt in more ways than one. But I digress. In my first semester at college, I took an introduction to religion class and an introduction to American federal government class. I was a political science major and a religion minor. And I remember coming home for Thanksgiving after about 10 weeks of learning about religion and politics and having pretty much figured everything out. <laughs> my family was a family that left room for spirited debate we didn't mind going toe-to-toe, so toe-to-toe I went with my father now that I had 10 weeks of learning about religion and politics under my belt. What a shame, I remember thinking, that my father knew so very little. Seven years of his undergraduate and graduate education, 30 years of his preaching, teaching, and voting could not hold a candle to my 10 weeks of learning about religion and politics. I don't remember the particulars over which we devoted so much debate, but I do remember it being spirited. And I do remember the gentle smile that appeared on my father's face as his 18-year-old, 10-week college-educated son embarrassingly tried to convince him of what little he knew. The cause of that gentle smile, I imagine, were largely two things, my silliness, and his love. Sometimes, oftentimes, we know enough to make us dangerous. You may have heard the story about the guy who was, walking, who was talking to his friend, 
and said, you know, the other day I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. And he said, no, nobody loves me. I said, no, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes, I believe in God. I said, well, are you a Christian, a Jew, or a Muslim? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic. He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. He, I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative. Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1879 or Northern Council, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and pushed him off the bridge. Knowledge can be a dangerous thing. I suppose it was the concern of the good Lord when, we, when he had advised Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because, boy, once these humans start to know things, that's when they start to get dangerous. Pre-knowledge, Adam and Eve are strolling with confidence, unashamed of their nakedness. Post-knowledge, they are dressed in fig leaves, hiding in fear. So it is no surprise that it is knowledge that the Apostle Paul feels compelled to address when it comes to these warring baby Corinthian Christians. Five years since they had ever heard about Jesus, five years since they'd heard about Jesus, and now many already had a lock on everything that Jesus was and what Jesus wanted them to know. Pre-knowledge, it's rejoicing at the Lord's table over God's unconditional love and grace in Jesus. Post-knowledge, it's die heretic. Which I suppose points out one of the great human struggles when it comes to knowledge, and that is that knowledge is the great tempter. It's hard to be human without having knowledge, and knowledge is a good thing. We need to know things to keep us well and safe and functioning in the world, and good Lord, the good Lord did give us a brain and consciousness to open ourselves up to the world around us and to learn and to discover and to be amazed at all that surrounds us. The pursuit of knowledge is one of God's great gifts to us as human beings, and knowledge is a tempter. The more you know, the less you tend to listen. My 10 weeks of knowledge made me less interested in listening to my father. The more you know, the less curious you become. Jamar Tisby this past week talked about curiosity. Knowledge tempts us more and more to think that the experience and learning I have done makes me now less dependent upon the knowledge and experience of others. I had an interesting thing happen to me on a golf course many years ago. My friend and I, got paired with a couple of men we had never met before. So over four hours of golf, of course, you attempt to get to know each other, and somewhere along the way, they learned that I was a pastor. 
parenthetically, it's always an interesting moment when I've been with someone for a while and then they finally learn I'm a pastor and then I watch over the next 30 seconds them trying to rewind the tape of everything that they had said over that period of time. Well, at one point, one of the men, perhaps because I was a pastor, mentioned to me that he had lost his teenage daughter just a few months before to cancer. And here's what I said, I said this. I said, boy, I can only imagine what a difficult time this is for you. And then quite viscerally, this is what he said back to me. Frankly, Reverend, no, you cannot imagine. And I don't think that you can. And I said back, you're right, and I'm sorry. There's only so much we can know for we know only in part, the apostle says. We know only in part. So Paul turns the conversation to love. If knowledge is the great tempter, if knowledge is this perilous condition of human beings that leads them to think that they know more than they really do, if knowledge is what gets us into all sorts of debates and drag outs and demon calling, then Paul says there has to be another way. There has to be another way, a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and I hand over my body so that I may boast, and have not love, I am nothing. Love is the sine qua non the essential, essential. Nothing matters unless love is in the mix. The stew is tasteless without love stirred in. The debate is meaningless unless love is the beginning and love is the end. Our knowledge is blah, 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 blah. Unless love makes you curious to know more. Don't you think it's nothing less than startling what we believe about Jesus? That Jesus is the embodiment of a God who wants to know more. Jesus is the enfleshment of a God who chooses to enter the limits of time and space in order to discover more about the very beings that he's created. Jesus is the incarnation of a God who is curious to know more. God has a holy and humble curiosity. In Jesus, God wants to know more. And God wants to know more because God first loved In Jesus, God is curious to know more about lepers. In Jesus, God is curious to know more about tax collectors. In Jesus, God is curious to know about people whom the law is excluding. In Jesus, God is curious to know more about Samaritans. In Jesus, God is curious to know more about the unclean. In Jesus, God is curious to know more about the Gentiles. In Jesus, God is curious to know more about the woman caught in adultery. In Jesus, 
God has a holy and humble curiosity. So Paul says to the Corinthians, in just five short years, you've lost your curiosity. You think you know as much as you need to know. So you've lost your curiosity, which is another way of saying you've lost your love. Have you ever connected those two words? That love begets curiosity and curiosity begets love. Have you ever imagined commingling your knowledge with your love so as to learn something you would never have learned had your love not made you curious? You may remember the story of the time not long after Booker T. Washington, the great African-American educator, came to be the new president of Tuskegee University. He was walking through the nicer part of town and a woman on her porch, thinking he was help for hire, called out to the professor, would he please come and chop wood for her stove? Without missing a beat, the professor walked over to the wood pile, took off his coat, and started chopping. And when a good pile had been assembled, he took it into the house and then went on his way without asking for payment. Later, the woman's daughter asked her mother if she knew what she had just done, that she had just asked the president of the local college to chop her some wood. The woman was mortified and the next morning appeared in Washington's office, apologizing profusely. She said repeatedly, I did not know to whom I was speaking. Washington replied, it's entirely all right, madam. I like to work and I'm delighted to do favors for my new friends and neighbors. I did not know to whom I was speaking. We do such foolish things when we do not know. We say such foolish things when we're just not curious. Pick your people, your next door neighbors, your second cousin, members of the political party, not of your choosing, the people not of your color, the folks not of your sexual orientation, the Corinthians down the street, the Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. The father who's had a few more trips around the block than you, and the father who's just laid to rest the apple of his eye. We just know so little. But love, love is patient and kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends.